Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Guiding Truth series, which is based out of 1 Timothy. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God impacted you through these messages. All right. Well, this morning, we are going to get into uh, the last... It's not that funny, Mom. (laughs) About 20 minutes, you're going to hear <laughs> something just registered. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, listen, this week, we're finishing up this series, Guiding Truths. And I don't know about you, uh, this study of First Timothy, it has been helpful for me. Um, I've been really challenged. There's been a lot here that has helped me and encouraged me. And uh, so we're going to finish up this series. I will tell you, though, that we're going to be getting into, in just a few weeks, we're starting a brand new series in the book of Esther and studying out the life of Esther, a young lady that made a difference for God. That'll be a help to us. But today, we're going to wrap this up in First Timothy chapter number six. But before we get to it, I want to know, how many of you know somebody that you can think of that they are famous for this saying. They're famous for telling you this. They'll be talking to you, and at the end of the conversation, they'll go, oh, and one more thing. How many of you know somebody like that? Besides me in my messages, how many of you know somebody like that? Okay, good. You know what? If you, had a, if you played sports growing up, uh, then you probably had maybe a coach, and the coach would come, and he'd get all the team together before the game, and if it's basketball, he's saying, all right, team, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play defense. Here's our, here's our first uh, 15 minutes of starting plays. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to get back, and right before you leave the bench. He goes, oh, oh, wait, and one more thing. Make sure you have your hands up. Or one more thing, pay attention to the clock. Maybe you had a coach that would do that. Um, If you grew up and had a parent, that's that's most everybody in here, uh, you probably had a parent that would say it to you. Oh, one more thing. If you're married, I know you've experienced it. Because you'll be on the phone with your wife or with your husband and you'll be talking and they're telling you things and right before you get off the phone, they'll go, oh, wait, 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 one more thing real quick. On the way home, could you pick up? And then you get home and you forgot. I only know that because it happened yesterday to me. <laughs> you know what? We, we all know people do the one more thing. If you were like me growing up, then you definitely heard this. You'd be doing something that probably was breaking things like windows or something like that. And your mom would pull you aside and she would, you know, beat you. (laughs) More of a tongue lashing at this point. She would say, now let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you one more thing, son. And she'd do this. She'd get right down. She'd say, Dennis Johnson, one more thing. If you ever... Yes, ma'am, I will obey. I am scared. Man, we've all heard that one more thing. Maybe you were one of those kids that when you'd be talking to your parents, maybe they would be leaving. And, you know, or you'd be getting ready to go outside and play or whatever the case was. And your parents are talking to you and you're like, all right, I want to go. I want to go outside. I want to, like, let's get this over with. Get the conversation done. And when they say, okay, now just one more thing. Your usually your response is this. Oh, get it done with already. Oh, you know, you roll your eyes. You say, Pastor, why do you bring all that up? As we come to 1 Timothy chapter number six, what we're finding is Paul, 
writing to Timothy, writing to the church at Ephesus. He's been going through what we've called the series Guiding Truths, wanting to help them live a godly life in a godless culture. Remember Ephesus, it was known for that architecture. It was known for being a a place of knowledge. uh, Ephesus known for being a place uh, that was just kind of the go-to destination. And yet Paul had started a church here, Acts 19. He leaves a few years later, then he writes back to the young pastor that's there that he left, whose name was Timothy. They're living there in this community of Ephesus that's known for knowledge, it's known for architecture, but it was also known because it was just polluted with sin. It was known because of the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana, the goddess Diana, the goddess of sensuality. And so that just led this whole town just really to be drowning in sin. That's, that's who Paul is writing to. He's writing trying to help this church understand you're living in what seems to be a godless culture. So I'm gonna give you a bunch of guiding truths, just things that are truth that you need to know and stand on that are going to help you in your walk with God. I'm going to write these truths to you to help you with this. And he's done a lot. Man, we've gone through this. I won't rehearse everything, but we've, this series has been, uh, this is the 13th message. And so there's been uh, 12 other messages of just a number of things that Paul has given. Well, as we come to the last part of 1 Timothy chapter number six, I find Paul almost saying this. Oh, Timothy, church at Ephesus, I've got one more thing for you. I wanna give you one more thing. Except I find that Timothy and the church at Ephesus, they're not going, oh, Get it over with, Paul. I don't find them doing that. Why? Because this letter, it has literally shaped their church. It has helped them understand, man, we are living in a very tumultuous time, but our God is able to help us live a godly life in a godless culture. Paul, we could sit and listen to this all day. And yet Paul is only telling them, I wanna give you one more thing. I want you to notice with me what that one more thing is. Stand with me if you would. First Timothy chapter number six. We're gonna read verse 13 down through the end of the chapter. First Timothy chapter six, verse, uh, verse 13, 13 down through 21. It'll be on the screen. The screen says six, one through 12, but ignore the one through 12. It's verse 13 and on. Here's what Paul says. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Jesus Christ who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Oh, Timothy, 
Keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Now, as we read through this, you think, well, pastor, that seems like a lot more than just one thing. And you're right. There's a lot more than just one thing here. But in all of these verses, I find a central theme that Paul is working to get across to these believers because if they'll, listen, if they'll understand this one thing, then all these other things are just gonna make sense. So Paul, I got one more thing for you, Timothy. One thing. Let's pray and then I'll tell you what that one thing is. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would take a moment and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you pause and ask God to speak to you And just give God permission. God, I want you to speak to me today. I want you to challenge my heart today. And then make a commitment that you're listening to him and that you're ready to respond to him. Lord, I come before you and I thank you again for your love. Thank you for this morning already. Thank you for the time of singing that we've had in worship. And thank you for, Lord, just a reminder of what you can do when we just walk and have that trust and faith in you. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us. I pray that you'd speak through me. Uh, Lord, again, I, I do humble my heart before you and I recognize, Lord, that I am nothing and I need you and I need your help. And so I pray that you'd bless and speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come to this portion of scripture and Paul trying to help them get this one more thing, I find the church of, of Ephesus there and Timothy really dialed in saying, okay, Paul, uh, what is the one more thing? And here's what I want us to understand that if, again, if, if this church will catch this truth, then everything Paul's going to say will just click. And here's the one thing that Paul is trying to help them understand Church at Ephesus, Timothy, here's what you need to remember. God is in control. I want you to say that with me. Ready, begin. God is in control. Say it one more time. God is in control. Church at Ephesus, Timothy, one thing you need to let click in and get in your head is this, that God is in control. He's in control. God is over it. God is the one who will be worshiped. God is the one who deserves glory. God is the one who is invisible. God is the one who is immortal. Listen, Timothy, you worship. Church at Ephesus, you you worship the one and true living God. Now, question would be, and this is my mind when I'm reading this passage, beginning to study, I'm reading verse 13. I want to charge you before God. I want to charge you before God and before Jesus Christ. All right, Paul, why'd you write that you're, you're giving this charge or this challenge or this big announcement in front of God as a witness and Jesus as a witness? Verse 15 and verse 16, that he is the only potentate, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is immutable. He is unchangeable. He is invincible. And goes through and he names all these things that he is uh, immortal. He's going to live forever. He's the only one. Okay, Paul, why are you trying to help the church at 
Ephesus and Timothy just get the, this truth that God is in control. Here, here's why. Here's why I believe. And after I do a bunch of study, here's what I think. I think that Paul had been giving them hard truths for their day and age. You see, they were not living in a free country like we are. They were living, Ephesus would at this time have been under Roman rule. And they would, been, they would have been involved in very, very many pagan worships and very many pagan gods. And there would be just so much sin going on in the culture. It truly, really Ephesus and Corinth and Thessalonica. And, and you can go uh, to cities like uh, uh, Galatia and Colossae. All of those towns at this time, really, the, the phrase godless culture truly defined. I mean, I mean it, it is... Everything about Ephesus, the city of Ephesus and about that culture was godless. People wanted nothing to do with the God of the Bible. They were very much interested in pleasure and sin and knowledge and everything except for God. So then you get this group of believers and Paul writes to them, hey, I know your circumstances still live for God. Hey, I know your situation. You can still live for God. Hey, Timothy, you can still be a right pastor. Hey, church at Ephesus, you can still listen and follow God and not give heed to fables and false doctrines. Now listen, if you're Ephesus and you're Timothy and you're hearing this, this is hard to take in. It is a hard truth to process that I really, in this culture, I can make a difference. But here's what Paul is helping them understand. He's saying, I want you to remember who is in control. Because if you will remember who is in control, it will affect how you live. But let me say it a little bit further. If you remember who is in control, it will affect who you love. If you remember who is in control, and who is on the throne, and who knows tomorrow, and who has today in his hand, if you'll remember that, it'll affect, it'll affect how you live, and it'll affect who your life loves. You see, so it's important then that Timothy and this church understand this one more thing. Paul is saying here, Timothy, God is the only ruler Others may take the title. Hey, you may have others that say they are the king of kings, but God is the only one. God is the only potentate that, that comes from a word that means power. He is the only strong living life source. He is the king of kings. He is the master, the Lord of all. He is the only one that has immortality, which means that he is not subject to death. Man is subject to death, but God, he is not. He is, he, only God has immortality and, and that inerrant part of his being is he cannot die. He is not bound by time or death. He is corrupt, incorruptible. He is not subject to change or to decay. To God belongs all the power and all the glory. And then look at the end of verse number 16. Paul uses this word. He uses the word, amen. Now what's the word amen mean? The word amen, it, it means of a truth or of a surety. 
But the word amen in the language, it begs the reader to stop, pay attention, catch this because it is true. We'll stop and catch what truth? He is the only one who is immortal. He is the one, only one to him be honor and power everlasting. Stop, catch it of a truth, verily, of a surety. Paul's saying, hey, let this sink in. Now, Paul is reminding Timothy in many of these verses that God is in complete control, and so he is the only one that deserves glory and power. He is the only one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Timothy, I want that to, let, I want that to sink into you that your God is truly God. Now, why would Timothy, why would Paul give Timothy this one more thing? And I said it a second ago, it's because of this. I believe this one more thing, it was going to affect if the church at Ephesus and Timothy really did live out a godly life in a godless culture. And I want you to notice with me the challenge that Paul gives to Timothy based upon the fact that God is in control. So Timothy, church at Ephesus, God is in control. And based upon that, I want to challenge you to a few things. Look at verse number 13. When he says, I charge thee before God, the word charge, I have a challenge. I have a big announcement. I have a, a command for you. Since God is in control, Timothy, here's what you can do. Because God is in control, number one, Timothy, you can contend for the faith. Timothy, you can contend for the faith. Look with me at verse number 14, because here's what we read. In verse 14, you read this, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right? That, that kind of seems like it's starting mid-thought. Okay, you're correct. It's starting mid-thought. So what's the beginning thought? The beginning thought is verse 13. I charge you that thou keep the command, keep this commandment that's been given you. Here's the challenge. Keep the command that's been given, been given. Well, what's the command? Well, you could go back and say it's the whole book. The whole book is the list of commandments. But I believe that the whole book is summarized. The whole challenge from, Tim, from Paul to Timothy is summarized in verse 11 and 12. We covered it very briefly last week. Look at it. Verse 11 and 12. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Here's what Paul is challenging Timothy and the church at Ephesus with in the entire book of Timothy. He's challenging him with this. Flee sin, follow the Savior. I want you, church at Ephesus, Timothy, flee sin and follow after God. That is, that's the commandment. I want you to do that. Well, what, is that what, what could that phrase be encapsulated with? Look at verse number 12 and the challenge Paul gives him. Fight the good fight of faith. That, that's the commandment right in the middle of this. Hey, fight the good fight of faith. What's he saying? Listen, Timothy, stand up for your faith. 
Timothy, contend for the faith. Fight for the faith. Some of you are like, I'm ready. Leo's like, where are they at, pastor? You ready? You ready? I got that. Listen, some people, yeah, they're ducking you, Leo. They're, they're about to get you. Here's what's happening. Paul's not saying go around looking for a fight. He's not saying, you know, pull it up. Let's just go. You believe in Jesus? No. That's not what Paul's saying. No, he's saying this. Listen, God is on the throne. Because he's on the throne, you can stand up for him. You can stand up for what you believe. You can live for God in a godless culture. You can flee sin and follow the Savior because the way you live is identifying what you stand upon and you can live your life standing upon God and standing upon truth. I charge you to fight for the truth. Contend for the faith. Because Timothy, when you know that God is in control, it'll give you courage to stand up for truth. Because I know he's in control. Paul said this, I know who I have believed in. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed uh, until the, the day of Christ. Say, hey, listen, I know what I believe and I'm gonna stand upon it. Paul continues this thought a little bit later in verse number 20, look with me. He says this, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. According, uh, avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition of science falsely so-called. Verse 21, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee, amen. Here's what he's challenging Timothy to, and I'm just gonna read my, my thoughts and the notes here. I wanna charge you to guard what you have been given. Stay away from, avoid ungodly and empty discussions. That's that avoid profane and vain babblings. Uh, avoid uh, ungodly and empty discussions and stay away from those who oppose biblical knowledge. The word science does not refer to a kind of technology that we would know the, the, the word to be today. Paul referred to here, he refers to the teachings of a heretical group called Gnostics or Gnosticism. Gnosticism at this time, and we went through uh, Colossians uh, last year, and you can go and get the, the messages from it. A Gnostic was one who claimed that they knew a great deal or had a great deal of knowledge because of some sort of special revelation from God. Here's what Paul is saying. Hey, avoid those things. Avoid that false knowledge. Avoid, avoid those things. Why should I avoid those things? Verse, the end of verse 20, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. They've erred concerning the faith. They have deviated from the truth because they allowed falsehoods to influence their life. Hey, Timothy, I'm challenging you with this. Stand up for truth. You have it, stand up for it. <clears throat> Now, can I tell you this, that when you and I, when we begin to really understand and when we allow it to sink in that God is real and that what we have been given in his word, when we know, I know it's true, it'll affect if you stand up for it or don't stand up for it. You see, the fact of the matter is this, that culture wants to tell us that Jesus is simply a way to heaven. And it's not politically correct to say, no, Jesus is the way to heaven. But that's the truth. So in this day and age, you know what we need? We need some Christians who are going to contend for that. 
to say, no, thus saith the Lord Jesus Christ in his book, in his word, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is a truth. Stand up for it. Man, you know what else we can stand up for? We can stand up for the truth of heaven and hell. Heaven and hell are not just some ideology created to drive people to religion. That's what culture wants us to believe. Well, there's really no heaven. It's really just a state of mind. No, no when, you, when you're born, you're just born. When you die, it's just done. No, the Bible says that there is a real heaven and a real hell, and people are going to spend eternity in one of the two. There is not a go-between. There is not a purgatory. There is not something that I could pray or give enough money to the church to get my loved ones out. No, listen, there is heaven and there is hell, and the Word of God says that truth. And you know what our culture needs? It doesn't need us to be brash, disrespectful, ungraceful, and arrogant believers. No, our culture needs us to say at work at the workplace, when some Someone begins to say, well, here's what I believe and here's what I think. It's okay. Listen, it is okay for you to say, well, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible teaches. Well, then what do you believe? Oh, well, no, it's, it's okay. That's what we have a lot of Christians doing, kind of cowering back. Listen, Timothy, God is in control. Church at Ephesus, God is in control. And if you believe it, it's going to affect what you stand up for. It's going to affect you fighting the good fight of faith. It's going to affect you keeping that which has been committed unto you. It's going to affect you continuing. It's going to affect you giving it to others. Why? Because I know it is true. Paul said it, or uh, excuse me, Jude said it this way. He said, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to encourage or to exhort you that you should earnestly, intently contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Man, listen, we have a generations of people throughout history that have stood up for the truth. I wonder what the history books are going to read about our generation. I wonder what it's going to read about your life and my life. I hope that it would read this, that listen, they stood up for his truth. Man, that church, Moses Lake Baptist Church, goes down in the history books as being one. What was so different about that church? They were a church, you know what they did? They always said they believed the Bible. Man, I didn't like going there. Why? Because that's all they ever did. That pastor would get up, he'd make a few corny jokes, and then he'd just preach the Bible. And they'd have guests in, and I'd think it'd be some great big motivational speaker, and that guest would come in and say, open your Bible. I'm being sarcastic with that, but listen, I hope and I pray that in this room there would be some believers that would say, I believe God is in control, and because of that, I'll contend for the faith. Oh, again, I'm not going to be brash about it and be a, a jerk to people about it and go around with a billboard sign, you're all going to hell. I'm not going to do that. Why? That's without grace. That, listen, that stuff is foolishness, and we can have that conversation some other day. You can say, Pastor, why is that foolishness? We'll talk about that some other time. Let's go back to 1 first, first Timothy. You can understand it in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 1 uh, and 2. Paul talks about serving with the reputation of Jesus in mind. Listen. You represent Christ. We represent him. If I represent Jesus, I can contend for the faith like Jesus did. Well, pastor, he turned over the money changers tables. Yet he was angry, yet without sin. Try that. 
When you accomplish that, then we'll talk about you wearing the sign and being brash. No, listen. This is just understanding the fact of this. I can contend, I can contend for the faith and still have the disposition of, of Jesus Christ. Right? Having the right position with the right disposition. Old famous saying. Man, you can, you can do the right thing and be the right thing all, all at once. If I believe that he's in control, it's gonna affect how I contend for the faith. Here's what Paul is telling Timothy. Hey, Timothy, because God is in control, contend for the faith. But also, Timothy, because God is in control, have confidence in the Father. Timothy, have confidence in the Father. Notice verse number 17. Notice verse 17. Paul has already talked about riches, but he kind of continues this thought. He says, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us all, who giveth us, us richly all things to enjoy. Paul has already spoken a little bit about finances and the encouragement. Last week we saw it to be content uh, with what you have, but he continues here with a little bit of this thought, encouraging the reader. Hey, listen, reader, find your trust in God. Put your trust in God all the time. Now, some of you would read this verse. And I already know what a few of you are thinking. Charge them that are rich in this world. That disqualifies me. I'm not listening during this point. Why? Because I ain't rich in this world. That I'm not rich in this world. I'll talk to you in just a second. For the rest of us that know that we are rich in this world, and you say, you're rich? <clears throat> I'll give you a statistic in just a second. Compared to 80% of the world, every American, even the homeless, are more rich than 80% of the rest of the world. So apparently that does mean all of us. Here's who it's written to. Everybody who's reading it. Charge them that they be not what? Be not high-minded. The word high-minded, it means to be proud. Hey, charge them that they not be proud or find pride. Watch out for pride. Well, why? Because the possessing of material wealth can bring pride. But instead it ought to humble a person and cause them to glorify God, not themselves. You see, Paul's having this mindset. He's saying, hey, since God gives us the wealth, we should trust the giver, not the gifts. Timothy, I want you to encourage people this. Encourage people, enjoy what God gives them, but don't trust in it. Don't, listen, don't find your security in what you have. Now, I find this very challenging. You say, why? Because our trust is often tempted or tested to turn away from God and upon ourselves based upon what we have and what we do. You say, well, I'm not rich. Again, there's that statistic. The poorest Americans are richer than 80% of the world's population. So every one of us, compared to the world, we're rich. The word rich, all it means is abundantly supplied. I just have my needs met. I just have what I need. <clears throat> Can I tell you that this is written to all of us, and here's why. Because even in poverty, what we call poverty, even if we don't have a lot of money, we often find ourselves trusting in our belongings. You say, no, I don't, pastor. Okay, let me give you a thought. The last time in your life when money seemed to be kind of good, 
I'm not talking about, you know, you won the lottery. I'm talking about the last time when you knew, you know, I got, I got 100 bucks in the bank. I got 50 bucks in the bank. Whatever it is, man, in college, we were like, we got $5 in the bank. This is awesome. We could go to McDonald's twice this week, and I hate McDonald's. Listen, the last time you were financially just okay, how was your spirit? Most people, when you know there's 50 bucks in the bank or there's an extra $100 on this paycheck, most people are like, yeah, it's a good week. Man, I'm, I'm strutting. I might even go to Walmart this week and buy me a new pair of whatever those cheap shoes are. <laughs> Why? Because I can afford them. 15 bucks ain't too much for me. You say, Pastor, I don't. Listen, we do that in our mind. When, here's, here's the thought. When we are financially comfortable or financially stable, it affects us emotionally. And here's the reason why. Because more often than not, we're finding security in what we have. Bills are paid. It's a great month. Bills aren't paid. Ah! Car payment is due next week. I've got the money. I can afford it. Car payment's due tomorrow. What in the world am I going to do? And it, listen, how we are doing financially and often how we're doing uh, based with what we have, that affects our emotions. Why? Because we're finding security in it. I'm, things are secure if I have the extra 50. Things are secure if I have the extra 500. Whatever your amount is, things are secure. That should be a little sign of telling me where I'm trusting. Because my trust and my faith should not be based upon my circumstances. It should be based upon the fact that I have a living God. And that's what Paul said. Teach them that they trust not in riches, but in the living God. Have confidence in the Father. And then I want you to challenge them. Don't look to be rich in money. Verse 18, look to be rich in good works. Look to be wealthy in a life that's being used for God. Look to be rich. Look at the end of verse number, uh, oh man, I'm getting ahead of myself. Never mind, don't look at it yet. Don't look, don't look, don't look. Look back up here. That's, that's way ahead. That's the next point. He's saying this, you and I need to understand that we need to have confidence in the Lord. Trust in him. Don't trust in uncertain things. Trust in the living and controlling God. Here's what he said on the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth what ye have need of, all, that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Listen, believer, you and I, God desires that you would enjoy the blessings of life. Did you see that in verse number 17? The end of verse number 17, look with me. He says there, he says, but trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to, what's the word? Enjoy. God says, hey, what, we, what, what God allows you with, the financial blessings that you have, the house, the car, the boat, whatever, whatever it is, listen, if God's brought it in your life and you haven't really gone into a bunch of debt to get it, but God's brought you something and he's allowed it, hey, he's allowed it so that you'll enjoy it, not trust in it, but enjoy it. But trust in the living God. 
Don't find security in what you have. Find security in the one who gave it. Man, Timothy, because God is in control, you can contend for the faith. Because God is in control, you can have confidence in the Father. Timothy, because God is in control, and this is where we get to verse 18 and 19, you can consider the future. You can consider the future. Verse 18 and 19, that they challenge them that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Listen, Timothy, encourage those who are abundantly supplied that they use their good for other people and not themselves. Encourage them to not be rich in wealth, but rich in good works. Encourage them to be ready to distribute or give to others. Encourage them to be willing to communicate or willing to demonstrate their Christianity. Why? Verse 19, because they are laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. What is that saying? Because you're laying up treasures in heaven when you invest your life in this, when you invest your life in Christ in this earth. What are they doing? They're really embracing or laying hold of their Christianity. We saw that phrase last week. I won't have Robert come and give you the bear hug again, but we saw it. To embrace it, that's the same thought. You're gonna lay hold. You're laying hold on true biblical Christianity when you use this life to invest for the next. The challenge here is about this, investing in living out my Christianity because eternity is on my mind. Timothy, remind people that this life is not the end all. Timothy, this life is not the pinnacle of existence. So Timothy, encourage people not to be rich in wealth, but in good works. Encourage them to be ready to distribute to others, to be willing to communicate or willing to demonstrate their Christianity. Why? Because Paul said it this way to the church at Colossae, if ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. What's all of this mean? Hey, Timothy, Ephesus, this isn't the end. No, heaven waits. And you can lay up treasures in heaven by using your life to invest in things of eternal value. He's not saying, Timothy, put money into it because money will get you to heaven. That's not the principle. The principle is, Timothy, if you know God's in control, it'll affect how you steward this life here because you'll not desire just for money. You'll desire to be rich in good works, to invest your life, laying up in store what's in the future. You'll be, you'll be challenged, Timothy, to invest in the future. Man, what a thought. I found a quote that I really think is helpful. Riches can lure a person into a make-believe world of shallow pleasure. But riches plus God's will or God's plan can introduce a person to a life that is real and a legacy that is lasting. I thought, man, that's good because we so often are tempted to find comfort and security in what we have. And he says, I want you to find comfort and security in who you have, not what you have. And then I want you to use what you have to invest in the future, invest in eternity. Timothy, God is in control. And since he's in control, you can contend for the faith. You can have confidence in the Father. 
Timothy, you can consider the future, but Timothy, I wanna give you one last thing, is you can count on God's faithfulness. We often read through short verses in the Bible without paying attention to them. But I want you to look at verse number 21. Because here's what we read. Which some professing have erred concerning the faith. We already talked about that. But notice the last phrase. Grace be with thee. Amen. Grace be with thee. Amen. That phrase, grace be with thee, amen, it simply is referring to the grace and strength and power of God. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to remember that you are not on your own in this. Timothy, church at Ephesus, his grace, his power, his strength is with you and will help you. You see, Timothy, in church at Ephesus, what you are being asked to do it is something that you cannot do by yourself. You need his help. And Timothy, he is alive. He is in control. And his grace will be with you. I want to tell you this today, that just as Timothy and the church at Ephesus needed God's grace and strength and power to live a godly life in their godless culture, the same is true for you and I. You see, it is his strength that provides us the ability to live a godly life in a godless culture. You can say, well, uh, what, what's that mean, pastor? So often, you and I, in this journey called the Christian life, we have the mindset that, well, if I could just buckle down, I, I can get through this week. I could do it, and I'm not gonna sin this week. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna think that this week anymore. I'm not gonna talk like that anymore. I'm not gonna watch that. Oh, you just watch. I, I can do this. I've got it. And so many Christians go through the daily journey of the Christian life in their own strength, trying to do Christianity. And here's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Stop. Man, his grace is with you. You don't have to do this on your own. God says, I'm available to you. Husband and wife, listen. You don't have to attack the challenges of your marriage alone. God has strength and wisdom for you. Sir, in the job, situ the job situation, ma'am, the job situation that you're just wondering what, listen, God says, James 1.5, if any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God. I've got this for you. With those kids, I've got this. I can help you. With that friendship, I, I, I wanna help you. In every part and situation of life, God says, I've got grace and power. I've got my strength available to you. You say, but pastor, how do we get that? You know what? You don't just wake up one day and get up and get out of bed and go, home. All right, I got God's power and grace today. No, here's what God says. In the book of Matthew God said this, seek me and you'll find me. Hey, seek me and you'll find me. That's it, isn't it, Craig? Man, seek me and you'll find me. Oh, if I just do this and do that, if I, can, if I could just seek me and you'll find me. 
What is this? This is me understanding that he is in control and I can count on his faithfulness. He's gonna help me. What I need to do is seek him. You see, because living a godly life in a godless culture, it is not gonna be up to me and you. The only thing that God asks us to do is seek him. You wanna summarize the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy? Timothy, live a godly life in a godless culture. You can do it because he's in control and he can help you. What a great book. What a great letter. Given guiding truths to help us. But today I wanna challenge you with this one thought. What could change in your life if you, each day, would remember that he's in control? If this week you approach this week knowing God's in control, would it affect if you woke up in the morning and spent time in his word and time in prayer? Would it affect how you talk to your coworkers? Would it affect how you lead your family? Would it affect how you witness to other people? Would it affect what you watch? Would it affect what you listen to? You say, yeah, here's why. Because when I know God's in control, it affects who I love. I love him because I know that he is God and he's done so much for me. He's blessed me in so many ways. And so God, I don't wanna just go through life doing. I wanna seek you because I know that you are in control. I wonder what would change if you and I each day would remember he's in control. If you know Christ as your savior, I wanna challenge you today to make the decision. God, this week would you help me to remember and recognize you're in control. But maybe you're here today and the decision that you need to make is to ask Jesus Christ as your savior. And the decision that you need to make because God is in control is this, God, you're right. I can't get to heaven by myself. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and be my savior. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, in just a moment, we're gonna have what's called an invitation. We invite you to come. We'll take a Bible. We'll show you how you can know you're going to heaven. And if that's a decision you need to make, listen, he is in control and he loves you and he desires for you to spend eternity with him by asking his son to be your savior. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed and as we prepare for our invitation, if God's spoken to you, I wanna encourage you to respond to him. Lord, I pray that right now you would help us today to respond to you as you've spoken to us. For those here that don't know they're going to heaven, would you help them today to come? Help us to be able to show them from the word of God how they can know where they'll spend eternity. Help us today as believers to just pray and make the commitment that this week we're going to desire to live each day recognizing that you're in control. We love you, thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.